0: will have you uh, have your bibles just go to, go ahead and go to Matthew chapter uh, 5. We've been going through uh, the beatitudes this summer. Uh, our pastor, our lead pastor is currently uh, on sabbatical and so continue to pray for Lance as he gets uh, the rest that he needs and uh, for him and his family. Uh, and so I have the honor uh, of, of walking through blessed are the pure in heart for they shall they shall see God. And so we've been talking about in the Beatitudes, uh, these aren't things that we do in order to get things from God, these are spiritual realities that already exist in the person of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek, or blessed are those who are merciful, for us, for us this morning, it's blessed are those who are pure, it's we've already been made pure in Jesus, or purity is made available in Jesus, and because of this reality, we get to see and so Jesus talks about this idea of purity, and anytime you're reading the Bible, we must ask the question, who is the author writing to, or who is Jesus talking to? And so he is there on the Sermon on the Mount, which may feel like we've been on this mount for a very long time, since September, to be, uh, to be exact, and so we've kind of backtracked to summer to walk through uh, the Beatitudes, and Jesus is talking to uh, some religious people who are there out in the crowd, and they have an idea of purity. They know what purity is because in the Old Testament, they, they, they had these ceremonial washings where, where, where they would make themselves clean or wash up before entering into the presence of, of God. And so, when, But Jesus, he says, no, I, I'm not just talking about an, an external purity. I'm talking about a purity within your heart, within your soul. And I don't know if you, re- ha- like recently we've done some yard work and I've been reminded uh, growing up of raking leaves at my house. Now I'm not talking about raking like the, in your yard, like with the small little trees at Longmeadow Farms. If you're in Longmeadow Farms, some have bigger trees. I envy you guys that have bigger trees. Mine's just like a twig out there. Uh, and I actually had my t- uh, my trees trimmed recently, and they knocked it out in like five minutes with the machete. I'm like, I could have done that. Why, why didn't I do that? But I didn't. So, but growing up, I had these uh, big tree, these big oak trees. Um, that were in front of our house. And, 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 they would, they would, and during the fall, the leaves would, would come down, and my dad would ask us to go rake the leaves. And so, my brother and I, if y'all have ever raked leaves, you know the job's never ending. You know, no matter how many times you rake, you ain't gonna get all the leaves that are in the grass. I don't care if you got a metal rake or those cheap plastic rakes, y'all used those before, that don't work that well. You're constantly getting after it, and you can never pick up all the leaves in the house. And this is before the time where you have, you have that thing where you can suction the leaves that you can get from Home Depot. Yeah, we didn't have any of that. My dad said, here's a couple of rakes uh, and go rake the yard. And so my brother and I decided that, you know what, We're, all the leaves aren't going to be picked up like, either way. So let's just go ahead and rake as much as we can. We'll put some in bags, but for the rest of it, hey, let's just kind of spread it across the yard. Maybe I put some more behind the house where he could be able to see. Or he kind of just kind of wafted out there just so it, it evens it out. So it, it just kinda of looks like we rake the leaves until you actually get a bit closer and the job really wasn't done. I think Aaron, why are you talking about raking leaves? Because, church, that that that's the religious system. That's the old testament uh, system that is a shadow to point towards the purity and according to Hebrews 10, the once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. For those that, that will be made not just a little bit pure, but totally, totally pure. Because re- pure religion is found in Jesus. But the, pe- the people who are hearing Jesus, this religion is that they're attempting to make themselves clean externally without a heart for the Lord. Without making that pure, without making that clean. That's why in Matthew 15, uh, when, the, when, when the Pharisees roll up on Jesus, they say, hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Hey, didn't their mama teach them better? Why don't they wash their hands? And Jesus says to them, hey, you have your traditions, but your traditions are breaking the commandment of the Lord. And Jesus says in Matthew 15, 18, it's not about washing hands, but it's what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. For this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. What comes out of this heart? Evil thoughts like murder and adultery, sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person. Listen, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Because God rejects church people who honor them with their lips or with, with their behavior or, or, or with the sacrifice or with this, this serving or, or church busyness without a heart for him. That's why it actually says in the Old Testament that that God rejected King Saul because Saul had it all together. He had it, he was, he was like the mighty king. He was the one who like just looking at him like Dude could do some work. like So we're going to put him as king, but God rejects him because Saul lived the life of deceit, of living this outward life without this, this inner heart that matched up with his behavior. That's why God rejects him. And who does God place in, st- in place of Saul? David, a man who is after God's own heart. Y'all remember the story? Y'all remember when, when the brothers were lined up, when, when Samuel came to choose the next king? rolled up on Jesse's house, he started, he, he put all his sons out there, and he put the biggest one first, and then the next one would go, then, then the next brother, and they kind of went down the line, and, and, and Samuel goes up to each one and says, alright, God, is this the one? Is, is it, nope, that's not him? Oh, surely it's him. The dude's Jack. Like, he lives in the gym. It's got to be, this has got to be the king. No, 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 Samuel, keep going. So Samuel goes to the next brother, and the next brother, and works his way all the way down the lineup. And God says, hey, he ain't, he ain't even here. He's not, even part, he's not even part of, of the choosing, of, of the selection. He's out hanging out with sheep. Because God had to shepherd David's heart before he could shepherd Israel's heart. And so you may feel like you're in a wasteland this morning. You may feel like you're, you're just doing just a day-to-day busyness of, 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 of hanging out with sheep. But God is at work in the midst of, of shepherding of the day-to-day of the of the mundane, shepherding our hearts if we lean into what he Is doing for where your treasure is, church, there your heart will be also. The heart, according to the Bible, the heart, it's the essence of of, of, it's who we are. It's what we think, the heart it's what we cherish, it's what we find our hope in, it's what we dream about, it's where our creative imagination drifts, and it's where we spend our energy in church. Hear me, Jesus wants nothing else than your heart. He can take all you can take all the religious activity you can take all the going to church you can take all the family discipleship you can take all the service you can take all the tangible things that you that you we can do outwardly but if our heart is not in line with the gospel and in line with God's heart then it's a waste of time so where's our heart this morning church what are we dreaming about what do we get creative about what do we love because what we love is what we treasure. We are primarily worshipers and lovers. You are what you love. What do you love? Because what you love, there lies your worship. It's okay to love sports. It's okay to love your family as you should. It's fine to love food. It's good to love your job. But if those things supersede our love for Christ, then we have made those things idols. And we've exchanged, according to Romans 1, exchange the glory of the Creator for creation but when we love Jesus primarily from from a heart for him it's we were we're able to treat those smaller loves as they should in their proper place sometimes people have good intentions but they say they say wrong things y'all hear me on that I hear in our, our culture quite a bit that we need to we need to love ourselves well, you know, you need, I think you just need to love yourself. And you know what? I, I think you just need to get some hobbies. I think maybe you need to take up, uh, you know, some, 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 I don't know, crafting. Or you need to wake up walking. Or maybe get some exercise. Or maybe, like, there's this new diet. Have you tried this diet? Which I can't keep up with all the diets, y'all. You're like, maybe you should. I know. I, I'm working on it. Like, I'm trying to get to that point. I need to work on you know, be aware of some diets maybe more often. But listen, church. If we focus just circumstantially on activity, without the mention of Jesus. I hear what people are saying. Hey, lo- love yourself. And I, th- I think what I want to, 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 to hear of what they're saying is, hey, we need to take care of ourselves, which we do. We need to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. But if we have a love for ourselves, do so we just need to love ourselves without the mention of Jesus? That's idolatry. That's placing self at the, on the throne room of our hearts and church, the greatest news, and, and because I love you and I care for you, you are not enough for the throne of your heart. You cannot sit on that throne and be satisfied. That Jesus alone, not self, but the Savior is able to satisfy the quenching of the heart. So the longing of the heart is not satisfied in, in activity, but it's, it's, it's satisfied, satisfied in Jesus. So we don't need self-esteem which is self-generated worth. We need Christ's esteem. We need God to declare his worth over us. We don't need self-confidence. We need Christ's confidence. To find confidence in myself alone is not uh, not self-confidence, but it's self-righteousness. Now listen, we 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 need a worth that's outside of ourselves. We, we needed a source, as we've heard sermons before, outside of ourselves to declare our worth that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we've been made in the image of God. All those things are true, and those are the things that we cling on to, because we hear in our world, just do it, you do you, but Jesus said, no, done, to die for the undoing of ourselves, so we can find everything in him. Your heart was made, church, for your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For God to put on flesh and not only dwell with us, but your heart was made for Christ to dwell in it. We are made to worship Jesus, not just on this Sunday morning, not just in this Sunday gathering, but in all of life. This is what our hearts crave. There's a guy who wrote a book, uh, his name is uh, James Smith. He wrote a book called You Are What You Love. And Let me read this quote to you. It says, in worship, you know, I want to know what worship is. Here it is. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and to give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, not just worship being an experience, something we experience on a Sunday morning, but worship being an encounter. And as we encounter God, he remakes and remolds our from the top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, And I love this word. Apparently, uh, the pages couldn't detect it. It's because it's misspelled, but it's rehabituates our love. Because where our habits are, there you find your love. Worship isn't just something we do; it's where God does something to us. Isn't that good? That's why we have a call to worship. The beginning of our gatherings. That we're, we're, God is inviting us not only to sing praises, but he's, we're invited to open ourselves up for him to do a work in us. Worship is the heart of discipleship, because it is the, gym, the gymnasium which God retrains our hearts. That's why Proverbs four twenty three says, Hey, guard, keep watch, train your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. I have one thought this morning, one main thought point. The point is this, is that Jesus sees. Jesus sees and he redeems. Therefore, we are pure and we can see him. That's it. That's, that's the one, I got just one thought and that, that's it for us, is that Jesus sees, he redeems. Therefore, we can be pure and we can see him. And our purifying trainer comes to us this morning and says, blessed are the pure Blessed are the pure in heart. Purity in the Bible has to do with like cleansing or or washing or or holiness. It also has to do with a single-minded focus of possessing a clear conscience. When I hear the word purity, I can't help but uh, but think about my, my upbringing in the church. And when I was growing up in the church, there was a movement called True Love Waits. I don't know if you're familiar with True Love weights. Uh, I, I think it maybe produced some, some fruit, uh, produced some fruit in my life. But if we're not careful, uh, we, we, we can teach the younger generation or this generation uh, that purity is accomplished by what we do and not what Jesus has already done and living from that reality. And so I don't know if their heart or their full intent, but there was a youth leader growing up uh, where she took a flower and she passed it around the circle. And she said, we are to save ourselves from marriage, and I'm going to pass this flower around, and each of you take a, 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 a petal off the flower. So the flower's going around the room. Students are, you know how students are, you know how teenagers are, they're not just taking petals. They're taking petals, they're bending it, like they're biting on it. You know how teenagers, they start eating, they eat whatever. I had a kid at student camp eat a Cheeto that had probably been sitting there for six months, and he got a dollar out of it, and he was so excited. You know how teenagers are. So at the end of the day, when that thing goes around the circle, the flower comes back to the teacher. She holds, she holds the flower, what's left of it, It says, Don't you want to save yourself? Don't, don't you want to give your is this what you want to give to your husband or your or your future wife? And students walked out of there, like, no man, I don't I don't want to do that. I'll try my best. I'll do harder. I'll be better. And y'all, that's legalism. That's a false gospel because Jesus came for that stem of what's left of it. He came for the dead. He came for the broken. He came for the addict. He came for the alcoholic. He came for the impure. That's who he came for. He came for people like us to redeem us because he sees us. Our heart, church, Our heart is totally impure without Jesus. Not just a little bit, but totally impure. The Bible says in Romans chapter three that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful and beyond all cure. Who can understand it? Church, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin, we sin because we are sinners i'm gonna say that again we are not sinners because we sin we sin because we are sinners and jesus came into the world not simply because to to reform some bad habits or, or or to simply uh for us to coast along no he came for the broken he came to make dead hearts alive hearts he came to make filthy hearts pure hearts And something also we hear in our culture is the words of what we see in entertainment or maybe on your favorite Disney movie or maybe on a shirt or maybe in Hobby Lobby or some sign, and the words are, follow your heart. But yet, the Bible says that we just, the verses that we just read is, hey, if we are to follow our heart, it, it could simply and profoundly lead us into a place of wandering. People, church, are following their heart and it's leading to Hell. We need a redeemer. We need someone else to step in. We need someone else to to reform and to change our hearts. The Bible says, not follow your heart, but for us to examine our heart, according to Psalm 139, and to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. That's what the Bible teaches. This is why Jesus came. Not to just make us a little clean, but to make us alive. He resurrects dead people and he makes them alive people. We have a huge heart problem. And we need a heart transplant. We need surgery. I don't know if you guys remember, but in 2002, there was a movie called John Q that came out. Y'all remember this movie? John Q, Denzel Washington. If you don't know who Denzel Washington is, I will pray for you. I love Denzel Washington. He's my life coach. Remember the Titans? Forever life coach. Coach Boone, listening to you. Love me some Denzel. And I love me some John Q. John Q in the movie, uh, Denzel plays this role, and his son has um, a, a heart attack. His heart stops, and, and as, he's, as he's playing baseball, and, and the movie gets uh, is, is about. I'm not well. If you haven't seen it since 2002, I'm sorry, but here it is. So the the, the son collapses. They bring him to the hospital. The son needs a heart transplant, and in the movie, they don't have the money to be able to to give this kid a heart transplant. And I grew up in my house where my mom worked in the hospital. And so she was, during the whole entire movie. She's like, "That would have never happened. That would have never happened. This is this is this is definitely a movie. This is not this is not reality." But like, mom, mom, come on! This is Don John Q. This is Denzel Washington getting after it. And so he takes over the hospital and he he holds people hostage. And he he, he takes over because he's, he's determined to get his heart to get his kid a new heart. And in this pursuit, he gets violent. He becomes obsessive. And he he at the end of his at the towards the end of the movie he he is willing to kill himself to put a gun to himself so that his son can live. And right in the midst of the moment, you know how movies are like right when that's about to go down, there's this news that comes breaks in. Someone had passed. There's 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 a heart. There's there's a donor. So then it, the, the the movie shifts into this this pursuit to get this heart to this kid. Because church, we need somebody outside of ourselves to give us a new heart. That's Jesus. That is the gospel. That in and of ourselves, no matter length, no matter how much we do, that we need somebody outside of ourselves to perform surgery. That's why Jesus is our great surgeon. That's why the Bible talks about that that in Ezekiel 36, 26, that he's going to take out of our heart of stone and give us a new heart, a pure heart one that now beats and yearns for him. So we are totally impure without Jesus. But here's the good news. Here's the good news, y'all, is that we have been made totally pure. Just as we've been totally impure, we have now been made totally, totally pure in the blood of Jesus. And so when we embrace our total depravity, big words to say, total deadness, and we place our faith in Jesus, the Bible says that we have been totally cleansed. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you know Jesus. I don't know if you're struggling in this, this, this tension of, of, of knowing about God, but your heart not really being there. Maybe this morning we would ask him, God, I need, I need your help. Maybe we'd be like the person in the Gospels who rolls up on Jesus and says, hey, I believe, but God, would you help my unbelief? Will you trust him? Will you place your faith in, in him, because no matter your background, no matter how many times where you knew better and you did it anyway, Jesus came for you. He came for the lost to seek and save that which is lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible says that we've received the washing of regeneration. Acts 15 would say, Our hearts have been purified by faith, and our conscience has been cleansed and cleared. It also says that that the blood of Jesus, of His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Good news, church. If you are in Jesus, you are pure. There's no more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation. You are clothed by the righteousness of Jesus. And hear these words, y'all. If you are in Christ, He's pleased with you. And He delights in you. So now, because of these truths, we embrace these truths. Because the Christian life is now a matter of living out, these this beautiful reality of what Jesus has extended to us. Now we live because it's totally possible. Now that we've we're totally impure, now we've now we've been made totally pure. It's totally possible to live out the purity available in Jesus. You know somebody who goes through a heart transplant. They got to to where they needed a heart transplant because of probably some decisions that they shouldn't have made when it came to their diet or their eating. And so when they get a new heart, there's a way in which there's some new disciplines and new behavior that comes with receiving a new heart. In the same way, in the Christian life, because you have been given a new heart, it puts before us a lifestyle of new disciplines and new newness in ways of pursuing Jesus. But if we're not careful We can allow the things of Egypt or the things of our past get us out and drift away from the Lord. Because in the gospel, church, the prison doors have been blown open. We're no longer in chains. We're no longer in bondage. The door is wide open. But sometimes, more often than we probably prefer, is we find ourselves in prison and the door has been wide open. The gospel declares to us, that there's freedom, that there's new creation. Would we live in that only by the work of the Spirit? Because God says, I'm not just going to change your heart. I'm going to put my Spirit inside of you to will and to work, to move in you. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Isn't that interesting language? Do you know your, your, your heart has eyes? Your student or kid, you're like thinking, I I that sounds creepy. That I never learned that in biology, that our heart has eyes on it. But no, it's this this the spiritual language that 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 our that our heart because where our, our our the eyes of our heart, wherever those drift, those are where our physical eyes drift. And Paul will go in Ephesians chapter five, and he'll 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 talk about three specific things that are robbing us of our purity that is made available in Jesus. And because of that. It affects our sight. It affects whether we can see God or not. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Hear those words, church? You're delighted in. We're about to say some hard things, so we need to embrace this right now, that you're a beloved child, that you're delighted in, and we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And because of that, there's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Somebody rolled up in this morning, and I gave him a hug. And I was like, man, you you smell fresh this morning. you smell clean. In the same way, because we've been clothed by the righteousness of Jesus, we smell fresh. you all with me? We smell smell fresh. There's, There's a fragrant offering that has been made available. We are to live it out. But every now and then, stench creeps in. And so we got to go back into the recesses of our hearts because God wants all of it to, 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 to figure out where the stench is, to see where, where that is. And Paul lays it out for us. Where's that stench? Verse 3, but sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That word for impurity that Paul talks about here in Ephesians 5, it's the exact opposite word that Jesus uses in Matthew 5 8, where he says, blessed are the pure. Because the opposite of blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. The opposite of that verse is cursed are those that who are impure, for they shall not see God. If you want to know why you may be not seeing God, it's because there's some, been some impurities lodged in the heart. And the first one Paul talks about is sexual immorality. It's where we get our word, uh, the word is pornēa, where we get our word pornography. And we know this is an issue in our day. We know, we know it's bad. How bad? Probably worse than we think. I mean, I don't feel like, I'll just go, yeah, we live, we live in a world that is oversexualized, where There is exposure at every turn. Anyone with a cell phone that has internet connection can access a world of impurity. And listen, church, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about it. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's weird. I know for you as a parent, if you're struggling and having this conversation with, and now your child is hearing this now in the room, I'm here to equip you. I'm here to encourage you. Because, church, if we don't disciple our kids, who is going to disciple them? Will it be Netflix? Will it be the world? Or will it be the Word? Will we allow the Word to transform, to allow it to have its effect on us to see what purity actually is. So we don't want to ignore the fact or shy away from from it because there may be some of us in this room who are struggling with sexual immorality and they're settling for filth when there's a feast at the table of God. There's a feast. And maybe we can't see this because sexual sin distorts and deters us from seeing others and God clearly. The sexual immorality, it reduces people to mere objects for our own taking. It comes from a place of loneliness and rejection, which in turn leads one to grasp for control in a world of imagination. Things are out of control in my world. I'm having feelings of negativity or rejection, so I'm going to attempt to leave this world and to grasp control and find my embrace in other lovers than the ultimate lover of Jesus Himself, it's le- it's leaving this this feelings of rejection and this grasp for control. It starts in the heart. As Dan Allender would describe lust, he says, "Lust is a desire gone mad." And we see this in David. We s- we see this in the character of the man who was known after God's own heart failed. And he hit rock bottom, and when he hit rock bottom, where could he go besides the rock himself, Jesus, the Lord Himself, who's slow with us and, and patient with us, and, and doesn't allow His anger to abide forever, but is merciful, as we heard last week, and who is who is gracious with us. But yet, first David had to learn he he had to learn that that that, that idleness and curiosity can get the best of you. In first in, in first Samuel, I'm sorry, second Samuel chapter. 11, it's David who was supposed to be at battle, where kings go, wasn't where he was supposed to be, wrong place, wrong time, he's on the rooftop, he's idle, he's curious, he, and now he begins to look, and he, he starts to begin to look with his eyes, and the Bible says in 2 Samuel 11 that David, when David saw, same words in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve saw, because it's an attempt to take matters into your own hands. David looks, he sees, he takes, he commits adultery, and he commits murder. And as Proverbs 7 would say, as an ox goes to the slaughter or a bird caught in a trap, so is one who pursues sexual sin. There's always a progression to sexual sin. There's always, there, there, there's always a, pro, a progression. It starts in the heart, the eyes of our heart leak into, leak into our physical eyes, and our physical eyes cause us to move in a direction maybe we never thought we would go. There's a progression. And so church, would we slow down, no, notice the progression. Because maybe in stopping here, we don't get here. Whereas an ox goes to the slaughter or a bird is caught in a trap. There's freedom. And the Spirit of God resides in you to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And what fuels usually sexual immorality is shame. Aaron, why in the world were you constantly talking about how we've been made pure in Jesus? Why are you talking about that we're beloved and we're delighted in? Because, church, if we don't hear those words, shame will get the best of us. And it just feeds addiction. And it feeds sexual immorality. And Jesus comes in as, the, as our conquering king who conquered sin and death. And he conquered addiction. He conquered the habits. He, he conquered those things so that we can live in freedom. It's the same David who said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Hear these healing words, church. You're beloved. You're delighted in. There's no more shame. But I invite us to repent and take responsibility, knowing that you're not in chains. You're not owned by sin, but by the King. He's given His Spirit to reside in you, a spirit of freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And because of that, it frees us up to bring things out of the dark and into the light to say, hey, I need help in this area. So if we're struggling in this, this 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 isn't just like when it comes to sexual immorality, like like, like the the big hardcore things. I mean, sexual immorality covers a big blanket or a big umbrella of of, of perverted things that lead us away from the pureness of Jesus and of his word, of living for him. So if this is an area of struggle, this is why the church exists, y'all. This is why we, we are a beacon of light. That's why we put that trailer out there. That's why we do set up the chairs and we have cool looking lights on the outside to remind us that Jesus has come as the light of the world to shine in the darkness to give us hope. And so if you're struggling, if you're feeling dead this morning, you feel like the world is getting the best of you or your addiction is getting the best of you, Jesus breaks addiction and he redeems. This is our main point. Jesus sees you're not alone. He sees you. He redeems you. And because of this, therefore we are pure, and we can see, we can see Him. That's our main point. Sexual morality. Second thing was covetousness. Covet to, to covet is to want something you don't have. So we look and seek to obtain. Definitely some connections in these in these words. Sexual morality, to covet, and crude joking. And listen, social media, y'all, it doesn't help with this desire of coveting, because rather than behold the best image of Jesus. We scroll through mass amounts of images to satisfy a desire to escape. I mean, I found myself this past week looking on social media, looking at all the places y'all are traveling and going, y'all going to Colorado, y'all going to Alabama, y'all going to all these cool places, and I'm sitting there on the phone just l- looking and scrolling through. I was talking to somebody this morning who, who's vaca- who who took a vacation. I mean, man, I'm so excited for you. Man, that's, that's great, man you were able to break away, but inside my heart, if I'm not careful, I say those things. I'm really like envy of that. I mean, I wish I could go to Colorado. I'm sitting here in Texas rotting in the heat while you guys are all up there in Colorado with the cool air. And we'll get our time. We'll get our time to break away. But we see on, when we scroll through images the, the temptation to compare and to now covet and to not to remain thankful for what the Lord has given, which is himself. Church, is Jesus himself, is he enough for you? Is he enough? Is he, is he your satisfaction? Because if he's not, we will turn to other things into other places and to other lovers to fulfill what only Jesus can fulfill. That's the joy of Thanksgiving, is to be present and to be satisfied in Jesus. Third was crude joking. I mean, we have become so calloused and desensitized, especially in what we tolerate and what we watch. What are we watching? What shows are we putting before us? What are we joking about? because it's in our jokes that can almost be deceitful the word foolish talking it's a it's an easy turn of speech in the context the idea is one who can who can turn every conversation into a joking comment on sexual matters usually with a double meaning so what are we joking about how often what are the gifts or gifs however you pronounce it what what are the gifts that we're sending to people or the memes that we're sending to people what's saved on that playlist Because these things, at the root of it, this is the fruit, sexual morality, coveting, crude joking, all that fruit, to get down to the root of the heart, there may be some feelings of rejection, there may be some control, or there may be a desire for acceptance. Will you seek help? Will you seek help to bring things into the light? You don't have to live there anymore. Jesus has come. Because the next question is, is if purity has been made available in Jesus, how can we be pure? How can we live this thing out? This is why I love the Bible. The Bible asks the same question. In Psalm 119, uh, verse 9, he literally asks, how can a, a young man or a person keep his way pure? How is this even possible? How can we live this thing out? It says in Psalm 119, verse 9, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, not just a little bit of my heart, but with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So the psalmist invites us into three words, to guard, to listen to God's voice and allow his voice to keep out the lies without and within, to, to, to guard. And you, you, when you think about that word guard, I think about, like, I think about a wall. I think about, I think about a protector. I think about uh, like, uh, people that are important have a security team. I mean, can you imagine having your own security team that just followed you around? That'd be kind of cool. Like that, that's what the, the, the idea of the picture of what we see in, in the word is that it, it serves as a guard, it serves as a way of protection. I had some, when I was in high school, I had some buddies of mine that uh, when we were dating people, they would literally put their Bible in between uh, the person that they were dating. Because in order to get to that other side, you had to crossover you got to cross over the word. So, so when, when David talks about guarding or storing, like maybe we go to the length and extremes of, of putting things physically before us so that we don't lose track or lose sight of where we should be going. But more importantly, we're to guard. We're to heed its word because in, in this word, we encounter the living word. It's where we encounter Jesus. This is where we encounter purity. And we're not to not only guard, but we're to seek. With everything that we got, All of our affection, all of our worth is attributed to Jesus. And this means that Jesus has access to every area of our lives. There are no off limits. What are we hiding from him? What are we covering up with? And will we seek him with our whole heart and find healing in his embrace? And church, will we store up? Will we treasure God's word? We've interpreted this as will we will we memorize it, will we call it to mind? You know, when we do scripture memory each month for our kids, one time a month, first Sunday of the month. If you haven't been, you're missing out. Come check it out. Kids are quoting memory verses from their minds, which I'm so impressed by some of our kids and how much they can memorize. But you know, y'all, scripture memory ain't just for our kids. It's for us too, and I'm thankful for y'all. I I need the accountability. I need I I, I need it to be able to like, hide God's word. I'm teaching my child, and as a result of me teaching my child, the Lord's doing a work in me. It's like, am I just going to know the preschool portion, because that's how old my child is? Or am I going to know the whole section of, book, of the book? Where I'm, you know what I mean? Like, when it comes to security, it comes to hiding God's word in our, in our hearts, not just for our kids, but it's also for, it's for us. Because, y'all, when we keep this at the forefront of our mind, not just physically, not just like, but when we keep this in the forefront of our minds, it helps us not to fall into sin. This is why David writes that to guard it, to seek God with our whole heart, and to store it up into our hearts to treasure it. Now, with this verse, speaking of storing God's word in our hearts, the word talks about Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back. Church, do we treasure and do we cherish the second coming of Jesus? It says this in 1 John. Chapter 3, Beloved, there it is again, Beloved. Don't forget that you're beloved. Don't forget that you're delighted in. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him, here it is, y'all, hear this. Everyone who hopes in Jesus in this second coming purifies himself as he is pure. We may be struggling with impurity issues because we have fallen asleep to Jesus' second coming, that He's coming back. He's coming back quickly to judge the living and the dead. And when we embrace Jesus' second coming, we it produces us in us a holy living now. Because Hebrews 12 will say, Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now and more fully when he comes back. Which isn't that crazy that we get to see God. We get to see him. Th- those words made me feel distant. I mean, Aaron, what are, you, what are you talking about? Because in Moses' day, when Moses requests to, to see God, to see his glory. you remember this in, in Exodus 33? God says, now you can't look at this. I'm, I, I got a heisman in you, boy. You can't look at this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stiff arm you to where you can only see my back. Because you can't, you can't behold my face. But Jesus comes, God puts on flesh, dwells among us, and we dwell and we see his glory. And now and now Jesus has come, he comes to live within us. And the Bible says, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the same God who, who created and, and had light shine in the darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. So I have to ask the question, have you seen God Recently, can you imagine asking that question this week to your coworker or your neighbor? Hey, how, how have you seen God? Uh, are you serious? Or, I mean, I'm just trying to take, take a lunch break. Like, what what are you talking about? But ask us, church. How have we seen God? Have you seen him in his in his creation? Have you seen him in his creativity? Have you seen him in the raising and the setting of the sun? Have you seen him in the mountains that serve as an arrow to point towards his goodness and his glory? Have you seen him in the life of our church when someone gets baptized? And again, if you haven't been a part of that and seen like a baptism, that's a celebratory moment that God's in the work of making dead hearts, alive hearts. He's in the business of, of redeeming because he sees us He sees you, he redeems you, and there's there's purity not in external washing of water, but in the washing of the heart. Have you seen him in the life of this church? Have you seen him in your family? Have you seen him in your kids? Y'all, I have a seventh-month-year-old daughter, and having a daughter is a game-changer. I have a boy and then a daughter, and when my my eyes look upon my daughter, and my daughter's big blue eyes lock in with my eyes, something happens up in here, y'all, that's never happened before where there's this, there's this connection, because I'm looking, I see her, and she turns and, and, and sees me looking at her. She busts out with delight. And we're just smiling at each other just for existing, just breathing. Like, yeah, you're my daughter, and you're, you're, you're my dad, and there's this shared delight as a father and a daughter, a father and child exchange the look. That's why our main point is that Jesus sees you. He redeems you. Therefore, we can, we can be made pure, and we can see him. That's why her name is Ruby Joy, because a girl brings joy. But at the same time, our kids, they can also reveal some impurity as well. You know what I'm saying? So I'm preaching this sermon on purity, and I'm like with my kids, and all these things are emerging in my heart that I didn't even know were there because of parenting and raising. So I don't share that story to like just like say parenting is peachy and fun. Like, no, there's some moments that are grueling and hard and in discovering the junk and the impurities in my heart that need to be laid before the Lord. It's training ground. It's discipleship. There's delight. Have you seen him in your family? And have you seen him in this beautiful redemption story? Because church, I, I'll close with this. It says this in Revelation 22, at the end of this redemption story, we see him now, but one day, One day we will see his face. So where are we dissatisfied? Where are we longing for things to be made right? Because on that day, when we see Jesus face to face, there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more suffering. There will be no no more sin. There will be no more devastation. There will be no more depression. There will be no more orphan. There will be no more widow all the things, all evil will be vanquished and we will worship Jesus forever. And we shall see his face and he will look back at us with infinite love and shower us with his delight. And in that moment, we will know more than ever before in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And and there will be nothing we will want to do than to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life and to behold His beauty. So church, look at me. As we groan today, we have hope for tomorrow. As we wait for His coming, because He's coming back, let it produce in us a holy urgency to live for the King, to live for glory, because that's what you're made for. And that's where freedom is at. So we say with John, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Let me pray, and we'll continue on in some communion. Lord Jesus, we, we're so grateful that you, uh, you come. And God, that word grateful, we, we say grateful or, or, or thankful sometimes when we pray because that's the primary attitude and primary emotion that spurs us on to holy living, God, we live in a world that is seeking and and searching and wandering into things in order to fill our hearts. But God, you are the only one who fills our hearts, who satisfies the longing heart. And so if we're longing this morning, if we're lost this morning, if we have addiction in our life, if we have habits that don't glorify you, which is everybody in this room, God, with the goodness of your gospel, infiltrate our thoughts. That Jesus, you came for the broken to make them whole. Jesus, you came and died so that we could live. You redeem. You see us. You redeem us. Therefore, we're pure and we can see you. We love you, God. It's in your name I pray. Amen.